بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته اللهم انفعنا بما علمتنا وعلمنا ما ينفعنا وارزقنا علما تنفعنا به آمين رب العالمين الحمد لله ثم الحمد لله we continue with the fiqh of salah Babu Sifatul Salah, doing the chapter which deals with the description of the Salah. So we move on with the Ahadith from the book Buluhul Maram. An Aisha radiallahu anha qalat, Ra'itun Nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallama yusallim mutarabbi'an rawahun nasai wa sahaha ibn Khuzayma. Aisha radiallahu anha, she narrates, And she says that I saw the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa praying mutarabbi'an. I saw him making salah. Mutarabbi'an means cross-legged. His legs were crossed. And so Ibn Uthaymin rahimahullah, he explains and he says, when it comes to sitting cross-legged in the salah, then there is a time when it's permissible and there's a time when it is recommended the time when it's recommended is during the time of standing so if a person decides to sit in the salah right he can sit cross-legged he can sit cross-legged like i'm sitting right now yes cross-legged right um but when it gets to the so this is for when for the place of standing, where you would be, you would normally be standing in the prayer. But now you can rather st- sit cross-legged. Likewise for ruku', you would be cross-legged. Right? Except when he gets to the position of sitting. Like the tahiyat, or the, the sitting between the two sujuds, the, between the two sajdas. Okay? In this case, we say it's permissible to sit cross-legged, but it's better to sit, or you would sit. Are you supposed to sit according to the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu which is either iftirashan or tawarrukan? Okay, it's, it's important to maybe try to understand these words so that I don't have to re-explain them. Iftirash means the way that we normally sit, where you sit on your left foot with your right foot upright. Understand what that means? Yeah. Iftirash. Tawarruk. Tawarruk means the last sitting in the last tahiyat. In the second tahiyat, we sit tawarrukan, where we sit on the floor. And our left leg comes underneath the right leg, which and the right leg is propped up. Okay, that's tawarruk. Try and remember these words, iftirash, tawarruk. Iftirash, tawarruk. So we've got four positions. Halul qiyam, which is the, the place of standing. Before ruku', this is where you sit, cross-legged. Halu qiyam ba'da ruku' After the ruku' you're sitting still cross-legged <coughs> And even during the ruku' We don't some scholars say because of the ruku' you have to change your position You have to now sit up like you normally would sit in tahiyat But there's no actual evidence for that so we say you can remain sitting cross-legged even in the ruku' As with the sitting positions like between the like in the tashahud or the tahiyat and between the sajdas, it's better to sit either iftirash, where you're supposed to sit iftirash, or tawaruk, where you're supposed to sit tawaruk. If you don't do that and you remain sitting cross-legged, it's still permissible. It is still um, permissible. The question then he asks is, how do you place your hands if you are sitting cross-legged? Where are you going to put your hands? Normal. So if you are sit, say if it's a, let's say we, I'm sitting cross-legged and I'm reciting Al-Fatiha. Where do I put my hands? On your chest, right? Right hand over the left, on the chest, because it's a position of standing. But if you are sitting, you put it like you would be when you are sitting. Either on your knees or just on the, on the thighs. Understand? This is how it will be done and Allah knows best. So sitting, um, is done in which salah? 
When do we sit? Aslan, when, when is a person allowed to sit in salah? No, no, sitting, <coughs> like instead of standing. Right? It's permissible in a nafal salah for any person, young or old, strong or weak. It's permissible to sit in the nafal salah. However, you get half the reward of the person who stands. So let's say we prayed Maghrib, and the two rakat after Maghrib, I decide I'm going to sit and pray. It's permissible for me to do that, but I get half my rewards of standing. Right? But this doesn't apply, obviously the half of reward doesn't apply to the person who has to sit. For him, he gets the full reward. We are speaking about the person who decides to sit because he feels like sitting. Not because he has to, because he's sick, or he's weak, or his back is sore, his legs are sore, or he's old. That person must sit, so they get the full reward. The one who decides to sit in the nafil, instead of standing, it's permissible for him, but he gets half the reward of, of standing. <coughs> Let's say you decide to pray Qiyamul Layl. For some reason you decide, okay, I'm going to sit and pray. It's permissible, but you don't get the same reward like you would have gotten had you stood. Permissible. Still, it's still if you're gonna, you are moving away from the asl, so you get less reward, unless, as I said, he needs to sit and make ruku or sujood because he has a back problem, or because he has weak legs, he can't stand back up, or you know, whatever the case may be. If there's a necessity for that, then he gets the full reward. Understand this point? So the times when we sit in the salah, Ibn Uthaymi says, is three times. There are three times when we can sit in the salah. Number one is in the ajz, which means in a time where you are unable. You are unable or you don't have the ability to stand. The proof of this is, La yukallifullahu nafsan illa wus'aha. Allah does not bear or burden a soul. More than except that he makes it easy for that person. Right? So in this case, this is ajz, you're unable. In that case, we say, sit. In fact, the hadith says if he can't sit, he should lay down. If he cannot even make salah laying down, you can make salah with his eyes. But you make salah in your heart at least. If you are completely, you know, bedridden and so forth. Um, so that's the first scenario. The second scenario is in the khawf. In the time of, what's khawf? Fear. Right? Khawf means fear. Um, so an example of fear would be war, as you said, right? An example of khawf, of fear, in a time of fear would be on the battlefield. That if you know, look, let's say you're hiding behind a wall, or you, in some, you know, like in the, you picture yourself in a, in, a, in a war zone, the enemy is over there, you are behind this wall. If you were to stand up, they shoot you. But now you're, you're hiding behind this place, or that's your place of safety, so we say, pray sitting down, it's safer. In this case, it's permissible. The evidence for this is, Allah says in the Quran, وَلَا تُلْقُوا بِأَيْدِيكُمْ إِلَى التَّهْلُكَ Don't let your own hands lead you to your destruction. Don't allow your own hands, or don't lead yourself by your own hands to your destruction. I Meaning you have to look after yourself, life. You have to look after, preserve your life. No harm. Allah says in another ayah, and do not kill yourselves. This is a general principle in the Sharia, the principle of harm. It's a principle which means that harm is to be removed. Harm is always to be removed. Hadith says, There is no harm and there is no reciprocation of harm. These things are not permissible in the Sharia, it should not happen. Take a current day issue on this principle. An example would be the virus. Why are we closing Masajid? Why are we suspending Jumu'ah? Why are we saying pray at home, it's safer? This is the principle. Allah says don't kill yourselves. Don't lead yourself by your own hands to your destruction. There is no harm. Uh, the harm must be removed. So, in a time of Look, going to the masjid, is it a risk? There's a risk. 
with this particular virus, what's the harm? It spreads extremely easily. It's highly contagious. And it can be deadly. Even if it's not deadly, it should still be avoided. You should still take your precaution. And so, the whole wisdom and thinking behind closing a masjid or suspending the big jama'ah, like Jumu'ah, is there to avoid harm, to, to expel harm. Prevention is better than cure. Al-wiqaya to khayrun min al-ilaj. Prevention is better than cure. So this is the wisdom, this is simple logic behind this. And, and these type of rulings, it's not an easy ruling to pass. It's not an easy ruling to accept for some. And this is why the deen is not based upon emotion. This deen is not based upon our emotions. You understand? The deen is based upon the rulings that have been set in place by the sharia of Allah. By what the hadith says and of course what the Quran says. And these are the principles and the teachings that we get from the Quran and from the sunnah. Preservation of life takes preference over everything. Of people's health, avoiding harm, putting protection barriers in place. This is a qaida. This is a rukun from the you know from the, the principles of the deen. Without a doubt. So this is another example along those lines of uh, even salah. Standing in the salah is a fard, in the fard salahs. But in a time of fear, if it can lead to your harm, sit. If it means you can't sit, you got to lay, lay down to protect yourself because there's fear involved and so forth. This is to the extent that the sharia goes to protect, you know, people and health and, 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 and life and so forth. So, um, this is the, the, you know, the hikmah behind, it may be referred to as a drastic measure, but it is what it is, and that is what's required, and Allah knows best. So we said ajiz, which is inability, we said khawf, which is in times of fear, and thirdly, if the imam makes salah sitting down, then you have to follow the imam and make salah sitting down. If the imam makes salah sitting down, then you have to follow the imam and make salah sitting down. So when, when do we say, yani how do we decide when it when is inability? When a person is unable to stand? Ibn Uthaymin says when that person has difficulty which removes khushu'. Understand? So if he stands and his back is paining and his legs are paining and because of his standing he can't focus on the salah. He's more worried about his back or he's in pain or is this. That is what we say is ajus. Now you need to sit down. Understand? But the sheikh also says if he's able to stand muttaki'an ala asa aw jidar if he's able to stand and lean on something, like leaning on a stick, or lean even on the wall, he says, then he should do that. He should do that. If that's going to make it okay for him to stand, then he should do that. But if that, none of that's possible, then we say, sit down. Understand? And Allah knows best. The main benefit on this hadith, hadith is, Rasulullah when he sat, he sat cross-legged, mutarabbi'an, understand? And in the other positions, he would change and sit, or that's what actually the recommendation of Uthay mean, that you should stick to the foundation, which is sit iftirashan, or in a state of mutawarruk. And Allah knows best. The next hadith is from Ibn Abbas, radiallahu anhuma, anna nabi wa sallam, kana yaqulu bayna sajdatayn, Allah maghfirli warhamni wahdini waafini warzuqni. Rahu al-arba'ah illa al-nasai wa lafzi al-abi Dawood wa sahahu al-hakim. Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma, he narrates and says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallama used to say between the two sajdas, right? Between the two sajdas he used to say Allahumma maghfirli warhamni 
Wahdini, Wa'afini, Warzuqni. That's five du'as that's mentioned in this hadith, which is narrated by the four books, except for An-Nasai and the words of, of Abu Dawood. Okay, so firstly, Allahumma ghfirli, what does it mean? Oh Allah, forgive me. What does forgiveness mean? What does it mean when you say, oh Allah, forgive me? I explained this before, I said it means two things. Huh? Okay, that's one point. Allah overlooks the sin. So it's pardoned, it's forgiven, there's no punishment for it. Right? There's another aspect of maghfirah. There's another aspect when we say Allah maghfirli, there's another aspect included, which is. That's overlooking. It's overlooking, that's one. And the second one where Allah just you will be questioned about it, but Allah mm-hmm. Part of asking Allah for forgiveness is all you must have firm belief. No. Number one is Satrul Dhunub. That Allah conceals the sin. Allah covers up that sin from the rest of the people. That's part of Maghfira. We say, oh Allah, forgive me. Part of this means you are asking Allah to cover up your sin so that you are not exposed. Understand? Your aura is not exposed. Your sins are not exposed. And secondly, you are asking Allah for to overlook the sin, to pardon you, to forgive you, to wipe your slate as we said, that Allah does not punish you for the sin. Those are two things which are different. Both of this is the intent when we say, Allahumma li. Because this, why do we mention this? The word maghfirah, which we know means forgiveness, comes from the word mighfar in Arabic. It comes from the word mighfar. What is a mighfar? It's a helmet. A mighfar is a helmet that you wear, like in a time of war, every soldier, first thing he puts on is his, his helmet. That's his first protection. You know, before you pick up your gun and your this and that, the first thing he puts on is his helmet to protect his head. Protects his head from any, you know, arrows or whatever, anything falling upon him. So what does this do? Number one, it conceals his head. And it prevents, it protects the head. You understand? It conceals, covers the head. So you are asking Allah for concealment, to cover you, and secondly to protect you from his punishment. Like that helmet protects a person from physical harm. So the mirfar does two things, it covers the head, and secondly it protects the head. Likewise istighfar, we are asking Allah for concealment, that he covers our awrah, yani he covers our sins, he does not expose us. And secondly, we are asking Allah to overlook the sin, to forgive the sin, to protect us from his punishment. So every time we say, Allahumma ghfirli, this is what you are saying. This is what it really means. Allah, even if you say, Astaghfirullah, the same thing. Astaghfirullah, oh Allah, I seek your, forfig- I seek your forgiveness. Allahumma ghfirli means, oh Allah, forgive me. Astaghfirullah means, I seek your forgiveness, oh Allah. It's the same thing, just a different wording. Just a different, just a different choice of words, because it means the same thing. Because ighfirli comes from also maghfirah, and also astaghfirullah is the same word you are using. Istighfar, both is a form of istighfar, seeking Allah's forgiveness. Understand? Um, so we say Allah maghfirli, warhamni, and have mercy upon me in this dunya, in the akhirah. And we know the mercy of Allah is all-encompassing. Wahdini and guide me. Guide me. And this is part of Allah's rahmah, of course. But it's something more specific. You're asking Allah for guidance. And guidance, the Sheikh says, is of two types. The guidance of knowledge. Allah bestows us with knowledge. 
and guidance. And secondly, the guidance of tawfiq. That Allah gives us the tawfiq to act upon that knowledge. To fulfill and to believe firmly and sincerely. Because you get two types of people. You get the person who has knowledge but he doesn't act. And then you get another person who doesn't even have the first type of knowledge where he has no knowledge. The first type of guidance where he has no knowledge. So when we say Allah Mahdini or Wahdini, we are asking Allah for two things. Guidance and the tawfiq to act upon the, the, the knowledge and the guidance. We are asking Allah for knowledge and, and to the ability to act upon that guidance. Act upon the knowledge, sorry. This is true guidance. True hidayah is knowledge-based. It's not to follow blindly. A person who follows blindly can never know for sure that he's upon the right path. Because he's putting his trust in, a, in another person. He is following the sheikh, right? So he's a blind follower. A person who follows the Quran and the Sunnah at least, yes, we, we of course we follow shuyukh and the understandings of the Quran and the Sunnah and so forth. But at least we know that there's the hadith. You understand? There's the ayah of the Quran and so forth. And that's what we've been doing through this, you know, the study. We always bring the ayah, we always bring the hadith to show this is knowledge and it's knowledge based. And this is true hidayah. That this, this opinions, this, op, this methodology is based upon knowledge of the Quran and Sunnah. And that's true guidance. Allah knows best. Wahdini wa'afini. Huh? Good. Good what? No. Good. Sorry? What is afini? Nope. Afini. Like afia. Afini means, and give me good health. Give me good health. Afini is a dua for health. Afini, min kulli marad, from all sickness and disease. Whether it's a disease of the body, whether it's a disease of the heart, you will ask Allah to rid you of disease. No, both is correct. Shifa means a cure. Afia means health. Both is correct. May Allah grant you afiyah means good health. May Allah grant you shifa, grant you a cure. You understand? Both is valid. Both is valid in terms of dua. Both is valid. Right? Afiyah. Afiyah can go beyond health. Afiyah. Afiyah can also mean uh, security and safety, protection. Like we say in the Adkar al-Sabah al the morning and evening at God, we say, Allahumma inni as'alukal afiyah fi dunya wa al-akhirah. Oh Allah, I ask you for safety, security, protection in this world and the akhirah. And we say again, Allahumma inni as'alukal afwa wa al-afiyah. Oh Allah, I ask you for your pardon and for your afiyah again. Your protection, your safety. Fi dini wa dunyai. In my deen. And in my dunyawi affairs. Wa ahli wa mali. In my family and in my wealth. Allahumma stur awrati, O Allah, conceal my awrah, cover up my sins. Wa amin rawati, and protect me from anxiety, that which causes me grief or worry. Anything that causes you worry. And then we say, Allah, Allahumma hafadhni, Allahumma hafadhni mi bayni yaday. Allahumma hafadhni, Allah protect me, guard me from the word hifz. Like Al-Hafidh, Allah is Al-Hafidh. Allahumma hafadhni min bayni yaday. From in front of me. Wa min khalfi behind me. Wa an yameeni wa an shimali. From my right hand side, my left hand side. Wa min fawqi. From above me. Wa a'udhu bi'azmatika. An ughtala min tahti. And I seek uh, refuge in you that I be um, swallowed from beneath me. Or struck down from beneath me. Right? That's a dua for afia. To make every morning and evening. So that, that afia is, is general, it's protection and, and, and safety and security. Right? Afia, yeah, afini means 
give me good health. Another dua of the morning evening says, Allahumma, nope. Allahumma, aafini fi badani. Allahumma aafini fi badani, wa aafini fi sam'i, wa fi basari. Right? Allah, give me good health in my body. Preserve my body and in my hearing and in my sight. Aafini. Here you are saying, wa'afini, which means preserve me, give me good health from against all disease and virus and outbreaks and so forth. Right? And the Sheikh says, whether it's a marad, jismiyan, uh, whether it's a physical marad, sickness of the body, or marad qalbiyan, even a marad against the of the heart, sickness of the heart. This is included in this dua. Right? So the Sheikh says you should intend this with your heart. Yes. He says you should intend this with your heart. When you are asking Allah for afiyah like this, you are asking Him for health in every regard. Wa'afini means grant me that good health in every way. Health of the heart, health of the body, health of the limbs, health of whatever is in your your niya is part of this dua. You understand? Because the dua is general. It just says afini. Afini in what? Health in what? Goodness in everything. Give me good health in all of these ways. And then the Sheikh goes and he discusses for the next two pages. He speaks about the importance of health of the heart and why the health of the heart is more important than one's physical health he says a person who has a sick heart his heart is diseased this is like destruction a person can be destroyed he can be doomed a person whose heart or whose body is is, is weak and diseased or even his mind his head he's got mental issues it's not as serious it's not as severe upon him. And the sheikh, says, the sheikh says, when you see people flocking to the hospitals, but they do not flock to the masajid, they're not eager to go to the masjid. Anything happens, hospital. He says, even you'll find a person, if one of their children, for example, has a fever, he will go in the middle of the darkness of the night. It's hot or cold. It can be freezing cold in the middle of the night. And phone up the doctor, get out of the doctor, you can't get off to the emergency room, etc. To preserve the physical health of the child. But he says when our children leave of salah, they're speaking about things which are haram, munkar. Then he says we don't pay attention, we don't give that the same importance. Huh? We don't give that the same importance. And this is, this is well known to many people. This is the state of many people. And then he says that if this is the case, You should know that the, the affair is not very good. The condition is not very good. The state of affairs with that people, those type of people, is not a good state of affairs. We are eager and, you know, we rush to look after ourselves physically, but spiritually we are rotting away we allow ourselves to go further and further and further away from allah into misguidance into more and more sin with no worry for the state of our heart and that's why the hadith says every time you commit a sin a black dot is placed on the heart a black dot and a person can get to that point where more a black dot, another black dot, another black dot, until his whole heart is enveloped in darkness and blackness. And that's when the heart dies. That's, you've pictured like it becomes diseased. That's when the heart dies. After that, his heart is dead. So, maqasat kulubukum. Surah Baqarah. Huh? Allah speaks about it becomes like a qasat kulubukum, becomes hard. Kal hijarah. Like a stone, like a rock. Or a shed to Qaswa. Or even harder than a rock. 
That's what can happen to your heart. The Quran says that's what happens to the hearts. It becomes harder than a rock. And if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لو أنزلنا هذا القرآن على جبل Had we sent down this Quran upon a, upon a mountain, what would happen to the mountain? لَرَأَيْتَهُ خَاشِعًا مُتَصَدِّعًا مِنْ خَشَّةِ اللَّهِ That mountain would crumble out of fear for Allah. It will be humbled and crumbled out of the fear for Allah. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, if that's the mountain, how much of the Qur'an is not recited on our hearts, what happens to our hearts? Is our heart crumbled? Does our heart fear? Does our heart shake? Does our heart, is our heart humbled to the kalamullah or not? If your heart is alive with iman and with nur, like we spoke about, then your heart will tremble with fear. Your eyes will overflow with tears. And if it's not, it's, you know, in by the one ear and out by the other. So subhanAllah, the Sheikh, as you know, he, he emphasized this discussion in the book. Because it's a very important discussion. This doesn't mean we don't look after our physical health. We just spoke about that any harm must be removed. That's part and parcel of the Sharia. We remove harm. If there's anything that can harm you physically, take it out. Avoid it. Stay away from it. If it's going to make you sick, stay away. If you're allergic to something, it's haram for you to eat that thing. Understand? We look after our physical health. But over and above that, your spiritual health takes preference. And it comes first. Because a person who dies, and we all have to die, a person who dies and his heart is alive with iman, it's full of nur, he will attain ultimate success. But a person who dies and he looked after his physical health, he was physically fit. But his heart was dead. It's overcome with blackness and darkness and sin. He achieves nothing in the akhirah. He achieves nothing in the akhirah. So you get people, they are super fit. Running club, up, down, this, that. But no deen. No importance given to deen. They eat this, healthy, organic, it's this, it's that. Oh, it's all good things, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you mustn't bother with it either. But that's not going to get you to Jannah. Aslan. Living healthy is a good thing. But living healthy without deen, you are only leading yourself down the path of destruction. Allah Musta'an. So we say, Wa'afini, which is asking Allah for good health. Warzukni, then sustain me, provide for me. Right? Give me rizq. Right? Um, and this, of course, is all inclusive. Whether it's physical money, whether it's some type of property, whether it's anything that's considered as wealth, you are asking Allah for that wealth. So these are the five things that the Prophet ﷺ mentioned in this du'a. He mentioned five things in this du'a. Okay? This hadith is, did I mention where it's narrated? It's narrated by the four imams, except by An-Nasai. Right? There's another narration in Abu Dawood and At-Tirmidhi, where the Prophet ﷺ made seven du'as, as opposed to five. Where he said, Allahumma ghfirli warhamni wajburni wahdini warzuqni wa'afini warfa'ni warfa'ni Elevate me. Raise my status, my rank. And again, what's your intention with this? Should be fit dunya wal akhirah. Raise me in this world and raise me in the akhirah. You understand? Wajburni means Yes, correct. It's from Allah's name, Al-Jabbar. We said Al-Jabbar has three meanings. The one is the compeller. The one who compels everything is, everything is subdued unto him. What else did we say about Jabbar? 
We said number one is the compiler. Then number two, we said part of that name Al-Jabbar is, is this one we are talking about. And number three, we said part of that name Al-Jabbar is Allah's Highness. Allah's, His Ulu. That also is part of the meaning of Jabbar. But the second meaning was, the one who remedies the situation. He cures the situation. He fixes the situation. Alladhi yajburul kasir. This is what I said. The one who fixes that which is broken. Al-Jabbar is the one who fixes that which is broken. Part of the meanings of Al-Jabbar. This is what means wajburni. Remedy my situation. Improve my situation. Fix my situation. That's what wajburni means. We explain this. I think it was last week in the names and attribute in the, in the, in the Asma al Husna. Tayyib, are there any questions on this? So the best is to stick to the seven. The best is to mention all seven in the in the Bayna Sajdatain. Right? Another option would be just to say Allahumma ghfirli or Rabbi ghfirli, Rabbi ghfirli. Right? At least you have to say it once. Rabbi ghfirli, that's the fard. So we have one narration with the Prophet said, Rabbi Ghfirli, Rabbi Ghfirli. Right? Some ulama say that it's not limited to two times, you can say it more, if, as much as you want. Rabbi Ghfirli, Rabbi Ghfirli, Rabbi Ghfirli, based on the way the, the hadith is structured and the wording of the hadith. Right? The fard is to say it at least once, Rabbi Ghfirli. The sunnah is to say it more times. Or you could say this one over here, which is the best way to do it. Allahumma Ghfirli, Warhamni, وَجَبُرْنِي وَهْدِنِي وَرْزُقْنِي وَعَافِنِي وَرْفَعْنِي Seven. Right? Those seven, if you can, should learn it, remember it, and you know, it becomes so easy to say as you go through the salah. Walhamdulillah. The next hadith is narrated by Malik ibn al-Huwayrith radiallahu anhu أَنَّهُ رَأَى النَّبِيَّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمَ يُصَلِّي Malik, he saw the Prophet making salah. فَإِذَا كَانَ فِي وِتْرٍ مِّن صَلَاتِهِ لَمْ يَنْهَضْ حَتَّى يَسْتَوِي قَاعِدًا رواه البخاري. So he says that when he was in the witr of his salah. Witr in this hadith doesn't mean witr salah. It means the, the odd numbers. Witr means an odd number. Right? When he was in the odd number or in terms of the raka'at. He did not stand up. He did not stand up. Except that he, except that he sat, he, he, he firstly sat, he remained seated, seated firstly. This is what we call, what we call this in Arabic, Jalsatul Istiraha. What is a Jalsa? Jalsa means a sitting. Jalsatul Istiraha. Meaning, the sitting of rest. The sitting of rest. Jalsatul istiraha. The sitting of rest. So, he says, first point is this. Ibn Uthaymin says, this happened. Malik ibn al-Huwayrith, radiallahu anhu, he traveled to Medina to study from the Prophet He went all the way there, for a short period of time, for a few weeks or so, to spend time, to learn as much as he could, and then he went back home. And this happened in the ninth year of the Hijrah. The what? Ninth year of the Hijrah. So it was, what? How many years before the death of the Prophet? The ninth year of the Hijrah. He died in which year? The tenth year, which is just before the death of the Prophet. Right? Tayyib. He says when he was in the witr of his salah, meaning the odd raka'at, which is which raka'at? No, no, no. The odd raka'at, odd numbered raka'at. Like your third is one, which, which else odd number? The first. The first raka'at is an odd number and the third raka'at is an odd number. Right? The first will apply to every salah. The third will only apply to in this case, the third will only apply to Dhuhr, Asr, and Isha, not Maghrib. Right? Because for Maghrib, the third is your final, you don't get back up. Right? So it only applies to 
the four rak'at layers. Right? Only applies to the four rak'at layers in terms of the third rak'ah. The first rak'ah applies to all salah. طيب, we'll see as it explained becomes clear. Um, Correct. That's what he means. And then on the and then on the third one, going to the fourth one, sit. That's what he means. You see, obviously in the second rakah you're going to sit for the tashahud. Yeah. That doesn't apply. The same with the fourth rakah. Any even number now becomes a place of tashahud. Correct. Whereas the odd numbers is a place either you go straight up. Or for Maghrib, you will remain in Tashahud because that's the Ras Raka'ah. But in Dhuhr, Asr, and Isha, the third Raka'ah will also be going all the way up again. He says, he did not stand up. Lam Yanhab. He did not go straight up. Hatta yastawiya qa'ida. Until he remained, except that he remained seated. Except that he, he, he sat. It's a slight pause. Eh? He sat. Right? For a bit. Tayyib. That's the hadith. That's the wording of the hadith. The benefits of the hadith is أَنَّ الْإِنسَانِ يَنْبَغِي لَهُ أَنْ يَجْلِسْ إِذَا كَانَ فِي وِتْرِ مِنْ صَلَاتِهِ إِقْتِدَاءً بِالنَّبِي صَلَاتِهِ That a person should sit as we described out of adherence to following the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. However, there's a lot of difference of opinion over this. Should this be done? Is it necessary? When does it have to be done? Should everybody do it? And so forth. The ulama have differed. Because there are other ahadith, there are other ahadith that mentions that the Prophet when he stood up, he stood up straight. Yani he did not sit. There are other ahadith that says when the Prophet came up in his raka'at, he went straight up. He did not sit. You understand? In fact, majority of the ahadith say he went straight up. There was no mention of jalsatul istiraha. There was no mention of this sitting of rest. Do we all understand what's jalsatul istiraha? No, like I said, difference of opinion. Right, there's a difference of opinion over this. Now, some ulama they say what's meant by this is the Prophet did it and therefore it's a sunnah. Whatever he did part of the salah was done out of ta'abudi, it's something that's part of the sunnah. It's as an act of servitude to Allah, therefore it's an act of, of sunnah. Understand? In terms of how do we sit? Will we sit tawarruk or iftirash? Um, you sit iftirash, right? If you're going to do the jalsatul istiraha, we say you should sit as you sit when iftirash, right? So they say it's a sunnah, ala sabili ta'abud, meaning it's, it's the way the Prophet made salah. If he did it, it's a part of, it's an act of worship, and that's why he did it, and that's why we should do it. Simple. The Prophet done it, khalas. Right? And also they say, this hadith happened when? The ninth year, which means at the end of his life. So therefore we must act upon this hadith because the other hadith happened earlier on. This hadith is now what happened last and later on. This is now the sunnah. What? So those hadith is like what? It's like abrogated. This is now the sunnah that we must act upon. Are you with me? This is their reasoning. It makes sense. Came last the hadith, and secondly, it's the way the Prophet prayed. We must pray the way he prayed. Right? Other ulama say it's not meant like this. It's not a sunnah like this in, in yani, mutlaqan. Mean, meaning, it's not an unrestricted sunnah, as, as the first group of scholars have said. And this is the view of Ahmad ibn Hanbal and the Hanbali madhab. They say, it's not a sunnah. In fact, they say it's best that a person doesn't sit. 
that you just stand up straight. Okay? Ibn, uh, Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal. Because their proof is most of the hadith don't mention the sitting. Understand? The third view is some scholars they say if a person is unable to stand up straight then he must sit to give his body that chance to rest a bit like an elderly person or a person who's weak physically or a person who's extremely overweight for example any reason that they, that this person has it is unable for him to go from the sujood all the way up this person is to come up a little bit sit and then go up this is why it's called jalsatul istiraha istiraha means a place of rest you understand it's a sitting of rest for because for certain people they are unable just to get up a youngster easy you straight up quickly up and down no problem but the older the person becomes the, the more difficult it becomes and like i said if a person is sickly or weak or bad back and so forth this may not be simple for him so this is where jalsatul istiraha comes in so they say this sitting wasn't a like a part of the salah like like it was like like the rest of the actions of the salah of the prophet was the reason for this is when did this happen they use the same hadith they say this was when the prophet became old this is when his body became slightly weaker and so he needed this as opposed to when he was younger he never did it you understand um and so they use the same hadith but the understanding is different right the understanding is different so they say Jalasatul istiraha should only be for those who need it. Like an elderly person, or a sick person, or a person who has bad knees, for example. These are the people that should do Jalasatul istiraha. And not any, pers- any, any Muslim or any person or any fit person and so forth. And this is the view of Ibn al-Qayyim, rahimahullah, and also Ibn Qudama al-Maqdisi and others. And Ibn Uthaymi says, this opinion is the best opinion according to him right he says because this opinion combines all the proofs together you are now acting upon all the hadith that mentions even the hadith of standing up without sitting and the hadith of sitting we are saying you should stand up straight but if you need to then you sit so both where you you are acting upon you are not basically abrogating any of the hadith you are saying all the hadith is applicable but depending on your circumstance either you sit or you don't sit understand um طيب. and the prophet also never mentioned it in hadith he never mentioned it how did how, how did this hadith come about this man says i saw the person pray like this i saw him do this you understand whereas he never actually made mention of it this is basically what the sheikh is saying um <clears throat> however he says whichever view you follow this is a matter of ijtihad it's not a clear-cut issue where you can say this view is undoubtedly the correct view and the op- opposing view is the incorrect view so a person should have this view that if if, if you feel this is the right view you follow the view with complete respect to the next view and he goes into some detail here about this you know but ijtihad issues of of scholarly dispute where there's valid dispute valid disagreement right where there is scope and leeway for difference of opinion this should never lead to enmity or hatred amongst people or fighting or speaking about this one ah but he said that's about that issue or this one said that about that issue you understand in these type of issues the scholars differ over the same hadith just in terms of the way they understood the hadith with the light of the other hadith as well you understand um and this is why ibn uthaymi says he goes into like i said into a lot of talk on this that a person needs to understand this that there's times of opinions where there's leeway and then there's times where there's no leeway 
a person completely, for example, goes against the text. Clear cut. He has no proof. He just goes against hadith or against the Quran and so forth. Right? So he says if we were to fight over every issue, what's going to happen to the ummah? The ummah will be completely split and completely weak and will split into factions and into groups and so forth. Um, but he says as long as the niyyah is saliha, a person's niyyah is pure and good, then this will not happen. And we will understand that there is room for difference of opinion on these type of issues. And he mentions that Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, he never considered the qunut in Fajr to be sunnah. But he said, if you pray behind someone who makes qunut, then you must follow him. And you must say amin when he makes dua. Even though he didn't believe in qunut in Fajr. But he understood. That's his opinion. We have to, we have to tolerate it. Right? Even the Sahaba, with Uthman ibn Affan, عنه, he, on Mina, he used to pray salah in full. Not qasr. He did not shorten the salah in Mina. Yet, the Sahaba, they differed with him. They felt the Sunnah used to pray short. Uthman felt he must pray in full. But because he was the Amir, they followed him. And they never fought over it. They never made a big issue out of it. And this is, you know, hikmah. This is adab al-ikhtilaf. Where we have respect over each other, where we differ. And this is within Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah. You understand? We, okay, that's their opinion, khalas. That's our opinion, we carry on. We unite upon our aqidah. We unite upon tawheed and following the sunnah. And, 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 and. What I'm doing is not a bid'ah. What you do is not a bid'ah. So we, you understand? There's scope for ikhtilaf on these type of issues. There's leeway on these type of issues. This doesn't mean a person says you can make dua to other than Allah. That you can now say, look, there's leeway, scope. Are you with me? That? There's no scope for that. That's kufr and shirk. Adding something completely to the deen with no evidence, there's no scope for that. These type of issues, we, we can see where it's coming from. That's why I mentioned it in a bit of detail. The hadith is there. We all follow the hadith. But the one says what? That's what the end of the last of Prophet that's what we must follow. The other group says, yes, it's the end of his life, but the reason he did it was because he became old. And that's why he did it. So there's, there's a, that's how we're going to apply the hadith for those who become old or weak. So both camps follow the same hadith, but the way they understand the hadith is different. We say there's leeway in this type of issues. I can't say for sure that group is right and this group is right. Understand? No person can say 100% that group is right. And no, this one. In this type, this is ijtihad. This is where you, look, that makes more sense. That seems to be the, the correct view and you follow that view. With complete respect to the other understanding because it also makes sense. We see the validity of that argument and so forth. Tayyib, and this is of utmost importance because even with, within, you know, Ahl Sunnah and the Salafis and so forth, you find this. He stands like that in Salah, or he didn't go down like this in Salah, or he didn't do this in the Salah. SubhanAllah, he doesn't follow the Sunnah. You know, this type of blind blindness and, and having this tunnel vision, black and white only, we taught like this, that's the only right view. This is a sickness that has, has befallen many of the brothers. And it's, it's probably also a problem with a teacher. Because that's how the teacher taught them. This is the sunnah. Everything else is bid'ah. It doesn't always work like that. Sometimes these other hadith, these other opinions which are valid. A person should be careful with his words and especially the way you teach. You know, to say this is the sunnah and everything else is wrong. Ya Allah, you, you can't even say for sure that what you are doing is right. Never mind to say that the next person's opinion is wrong and Allah knows best. Tayyib. Um, now the, another issue that comes up is the issue of the ma'moom and the imam right if the imam does the jalsa should you follow the imam or not basically so obviously if you view you should follow you, you, if you view the jalsa to be sunnah and he does it naturally you will follow but let's say you decide 
Look, I don't believe it should be done. I only believe it should be done for some people. Like the second or the third view we mentioned. But the Imam does it. Should you follow the Imam or not? You should follow the Imam. If you believe it's not, it is a Sunnah, but the Imam doesn't do it. Should you follow the Imam or should you do the, the Jalsa? Right? Again, this is why it differ. Some would say you should do it because you believe it's a sunnah. Others would say follow the imam. Right? Follow the imam. And this is what Ibn Uthaymin concludes and he says you should follow the imam. Right? Firstly is a hadith which says إِنَّمَا جُعِلَ الْإِمَامِ لِيُؤْتَمَّ بِهِ That the imam has only been placed to be followed. To be imitated. So the way the imam prays we're supposed to pray. Right? For the most part. That's why we said if the imam prays sitting down you pray sitting down. It's part of this teaching. Um, طيب, so we say in terms of the Jalsa, Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah, he said, he was also asked this question, Shaykh al-Islam, and he said, it's best for the ma'moom to follow the Imam. And if he doesn't sit, even if he, if he views, and if the Imam doesn't sit, and he views it the Sunnah, he should not sit. Because he should, Imitate the Imam as much as he can. However, other opinions, I don't ever mention that, I think I did. Ibn Uthaymin spoke about this and he said, if the Imam, let's say he sits iftirash, or he doesn't sit iftirash, he sits in a different way. Should you sit iftirash or should you sit in a different way? And the same with tawarruk. Let's say the Imam doesn't sit tawarruk, should you sit tawarruk knowing it's the last rak'ah or should you sit the way he's sitting? You should sit tawarruk. In this case, you don't follow the imam. So the question could be asked, what's the difference? Right? Number one, the first answer, even with Rafa Yadayi, raising the hands, you know, before the ruku, coming up from the ruku, coming up from the first tashahud, we raise the hands. Right? Let's say the imam doesn't do it. Do we raise the hands or not? We raise the hands. Two evidences. Number one is, these are, some of them are established sunnas. Right? There's no difference of opinion over them. Or the difference is very weak. Like the raising the hands is a clear-cut sunnah. Or authentic hadith. The other issue is, tawarruk and iftirash. Clear sunnas. If the imam decides he can't do it, or he's too lazy to do it, you follow the sunnah. And the other evidence is, that raising the hands and sitting differently, there's not a big difference in that to what the Imam is doing. And you don't see any difference between the two really. Understand? Whereas if the Imam goes straight up and you remain seated, there's a big, you can see the, the, the difference now, right? Imam's going up and this guy's still sitting. Imam's off is the Fatiha and he's only coming up now. So there's a slight difference in the way the salah is being prayed. But the raising of the hands in between, it's something minor, there's no real difference between you and the imam. And even the way he makes his feet, even if you could say the way he stands with his hands, he puts his hands on his navel, below his navel, should you do the same thing? No. You believe it's on the chest, put it on the chest. Because you are not differing with the imam much. You understand? Whereas sitting while the imam doesn't sit, it's a big difference. This is the other uh, reasoning the Sheikh uses, and Allah knows best. So, in terms of the Jalsat al Istiraha, if the Imam does it, do it. If he doesn't do it, don't do it. If, in terms of other Sunnahs, like minor things, follow the Sunnah, whether the Imam does it or not. Right? Um, and obviously, the, the, that, that's a big discussion. Sometimes there's a lot of difference of opinion over that. Over, you know, should we do this? Should, when should we not? And so forth. Allah knows best. Um, does any scholars regard it as wajib? Do any scholars say it's wajib? No scholar says it's wajib. Except Ibn Uthaymin says some of the latter day guys who came and he, listen to the wording he uses. Al Some of the brothers who were severe when they came to following the sunnah. He says some of those who came later on who were Severe, mutashaddid, when it comes to following the sunnah. 
perhaps like the Khawarij, you could say yes, traits of the Khawarij is severity. But even some of the, you know, the today's time, the Salafi brothers, we, like I said earlier, to them, that's the Sunnah. And so they impose it upon others, and if they see a person doesn't do it, they write him off, they refute him, they check him out, they regard him as misguided, as an innovator, as this, as that. Because of that severity that's within them. You know, and that's usually because of a small amount of knowledge. Because that's all they've been taught, as I said. They were told that's the sunnah and everything else is incorrect. So that to them is sunnah, it becomes like a fault for them. You understand? Allah knows best. Um, <clears throat> we say it's a sunnah for those who say it should be done anytime. And even those who say it should be done only for the elderly and the weak. It's a sunnah for them to do it, not a fault for them to do it, and Allah knows best. And then the hadith also said, حَتَّى يَسْتَوِيَغْ جَالِسًا وَقَاعِدًا Meaning, um, there has to be a pause in the jalsa. يعني there must be tumanina, which we spoke about, that pause. So there's no use you do a half a jalsa to istiraha. You understand? You have to sit for at least a moment second and a half and so and then you got to go up again but not just to sit and to go it doesn't count as jalsatul istiraha you understand you're not doing like a half a sunnah which doesn't count it has to be done properly so if you're going to do jalsatul istiraha do it properly sit pause and then you move and there's no dhikr to be said there's nothing to be said does it have a takbir does it have its own takbir? No, it doesn't. And in fact, Ibn Uthaymin says this is also a proof that it's not a specific part of the salah. Because it doesn't have any dhikr, doesn't have any takbir. He uses this as also as an evidence and he says it's not something that was maqsuda, meaning it wasn't something that was intended specifically. The Prophet did it out of need. It wasn't something that was done Intentionally, you know, like he came up and he sat purposefully. And then, like it is done today. And again, I'm not saying this is wrong. That's their understanding of it. No problem. This, this group of scholars are saying, it wasn't something maqsuda. It wasn't something intended specifically. It happened, by the way, because of, you need to take a, uh, you know, take a pause and then I'm going to go up. But it doesn't have its own takbir. No any specific dhikr right so when do you say the takbir then if you're coming up right so either you can say it as you come up or you can sit and then say it you understand so the correct thing technically would be is to as you are coming up is to say it because that's what the hadith says, when, you st- when you're coming up, you should say the takbir. And not wait till you sit first and then say it. You understand? What's the danger with this? Not daily, people sit into tahiyat. People should know which raka'ah they're in. The danger with this is, if the imam says Allahu Akbar, then he sits, pauses, then goes up. Some people will go straight up. And they will precede him. You understand? So that's, that's the, the, the slight danger that comes about with it. Okay? Uh, but the Sheikh still says, you should say it as you're coming up. And those who can see you will sit with you. Understand? To be on the safe side, I would personally delay it just a little bit. Just a little bit. Uh, maybe as you're about to sit, you can start the takbir. Sit for and then you go up. Um, Allah knows best. Because the takbir then looks like it's part of the the sajda or the jalsatul istiraha, but it's not as part of coming up from the sajda to the standing position. You understand? Um, so personally, that's the view that I follow. Personally, I'm not saying you must follow that view. All I'm saying is, we acknowledge the first view, which is, some say it's a sunnah, it should always be done. Others say, it should be done for, for need. That if there's a need, you do it. If there's no need, you don't have to do it. In fact, they said it's better to go straight up. It's better to go straight up. But both views for me are, 
those views make sense. Those views make sense. Um, I prefer the third view that I mentioned. The first is it's a sunnah. Everybody should do it at every time, every moment. Second view is it's not a sunnah at all. And the third view is it's a sunnah for certain people for certain times. Like the old, the weak, the elderly, the tired. For them they should do it. The other should go straight up. Because for me, that, that the view encompasses all of the hadith. Hadith which mentions going straight up and the hadith which Mentions sitting. That was for a specific reason, and Allah knows best. Wassalamu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Shadu Allah ilaha illa ad-dastaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk.